This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hansen. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Virrell Miguels. Chapter 40 A Night of Toil. Alice Van Kirk on Sunday afternoon felt as if the suspense and strain of uncertainty would completely break her down. The morning had been sufficiently insupportable. She had barely slept all night, and with Stivert reporting no progress after ten o'clock, her cup of anguish had seemed full to overflowing. But the afternoon, as mockingly barren of news or hope as any hours already endured, brought calls and callers innumerable with inquiries as to Thurley's health invitations for the week forthcoming and astonishment and curiosity on the part of those who discovered by personal attendance at the mansion that thoroughly was away alice had not revealed the truth to any one save robley and the baron she feared and dreaded the rumours and gossip the exaggerated tales and the inescapable suspicions that knowledge of the prince's disappearance would immediately engender nevertheless to maintain a smiling composure and to parry insidious queries was taxing the utmost of her ingenuity and all but driving her distracted major phipps who had been away recuperating from his literary labours for several weeks was one of the callers he came with kelsey woods and was annoyingly insistent in his probing as to thoroughly her whereabouts and prospects willie stetson with twenty different bunches of flowers for thoroughly to accept or reject but to exercise her wholly untrammelled choice upon was early on the scene algy dearborn brought a brand-new limerick captain fowler and beau bremer of the diplomatic service arrived almost together lady honor calthrop and count faishi came together as they had on a number of occasions gaylord came later with floral contributions and by great good fortune did not collide with the count Faishi was sufficiently persistent in his reiterated desire to be made acquainted at once with Thurley's whereabouts. He cornered Alice by herself at the moment when the others were engaged in a mild debate on woman's suffrage, and repeated his wishes anew. "'It is not that I shall be considered as one of the limpid others,' he explained. "'My nature is one of fire and action. Ah!' so impatient to move to surround miss thurley herself understands she would wish it for me to be informed where she is what she does away from her home where i shall send my eager thoughts to remind her of the pleasant times whenever we have met i quite understand said alice distraught by her haunting fears if i were to tell you count Faishi, that she is far away and in peril what would your fire and action do he grinned 
i should be aware dear lady that you are a humorous people you americans i shall wait she must presently return my longing shall bring her back perhaps said alice but i would pray god to send her a humorous american man with a good strong arm and fearless heart a no hothouse absent treatment she rose and joined the others restlessly her feeling one of negative guilt that she talked and smiled with guests like these and did nothing at all for thoroughly she was glad when they went particularly glad to be rid of the glib faishi shamelessly boasting of the heat of his heart that she knew to be colder than brass but if the count was insistent gaylord was fairly intolerable the man was at the brink of ruin his nerves were as brittle as glass he was pale irritable strung taut as a rope between two twisting screws Baishi had crowded him fairly to the edge, and he felt already that the slightest push must hurl him downward to the pit. Some way in his desperate plight he felt the necessity for thoroughly Ruxton, a summon of the other days to whom to open the gates of his soul and relieve the pressure within. She had not replied to his letter, that note amounting to a curt demand that she permit him to announce their engagement. Irrationally, he told himself that if she had only sent him word, definite word, even a negative reply, the entire fabric of his luck must have undergone a transformation. He was not prepared to accept her no for his answer. Today, however, it was anything to find her and perhaps compel her to consent to be his wife he felt it would conquer faishi to discover that she was absent from the scene and to receive no adequate explanation of what her absence meant increased his annoyance and impatience see here he said to alice in his domineering way the moment he could snatch her away from the others we both understand that my position with thoroughly is unlike that of any one else i've a right to know where she's gone alice was nettled i wish it were such a right as might keep you better informed more vitally in touch with events and then perhaps you might assist instead of goading me what do you mean he demanded you're not declaring your ignorance as to where she is and if i were what then he narrowed his gaze upon her, countless suspicions flashing briefly in his brain. "'You're sure she hasn't gone to New Haven?' he said. "'It isn't some attempt to erase all final traces of the past.' Alice could almost have slapped him. "'Her past with you?' she queried, as she had on previous occasions." i am sure there is no occasion mr gaylord if as you say you occupy a peculiar position with regard to thoroughly what would you think your duty should anything arise to menace her happiness her freedom her life she had masked her intensity of feeling or if she had not gaylord failed to penetrate her thin veneer of calm he smiled again in his mirthless sardonic manner the manner of one desperate no matter where he turns is this some trap for me he inquired does it snap upon my answer 
it does to some extent though my question was not intended as a trap uh, precisely may i exercise the privilege of avoiding the trap you may think the trap avoided he ceased to smile i suppose you mean i am trapped no matter how i answer alice shrugged her shoulders your fate is of your own making not of mine suppose thoroughly needed help you claim you occupy a special position in her destiny how far would you be willing to go what would you sacrifice to find her and give her assistance gaylord wondered if perchance the game was over and thoroughly sent away whether alice van kirk had begun to fear detection of their game and had brought it to a sudden termination his attitude was altered by the thought so lightly did his weather-vane respond to a zephyr of change if she's out of town he replied i'd do what i could uh, do anything in reason except of course to leave the city just at present god knows my whole career may depend on my being here now every minute exactly said alice and that was her final word with the man but not her final disgust she sounded nearly every man who had hung on thoroughly's words and moves while flowers and speeches were the price there was none in them all she felt convinced with the manhood the courage and the self-denial to risk his comfort far less risk his life should the princess require such sacrifice to defend her perhaps from death in the final analysis not a few regarded thoroughly as already the prize and therefore the charge of the young grand duke carl wilhelm they would gladly flirt uh, with his affianced bride but her dangers were all for him it was late when styvrant phoned at last that a faint star of hope had risen his message was brief and excited the merest statement that a hint had arrived at the baron's headquarters and that anything further that might develop would be phoned in later on he was going robley added to a place far out from manhattan to investigate a vague report that might prove utterly groundless it was something at least on which to act and midnight would tell the tale to all of alice's eager questions he returned the vaguest of answers presently hanging up the phone if disappointment lurked beyond he preferred to accept its brunt himself and not raise beaming expectations to dash them later in the night it was late when he started his car with his man in the driver's seat he had ascertained that no railroad trains ran nearer than fifteen miles or more to the west of north winnick he was dressed in furs which differed but slightly from those of his mechanician wolfskin robes were heaped in the tonneau's hold should occasion arise for their use their lamps were lighted on the ferry-boat half an hour later with nearly four clear hours ahead of them in which to cover a distance calculated at something under seventy miles the car was going like a huge projectile over roads hard as flint the darkness descended swiftly the night was moonless 
but the film of snow that lay on all the lifeless world reflected the dim refulgence of the heavens clearly defining the pike for more than a quarter of the distance the big dark device of modern power and velocity shot through villages past fields and over bridges like a thing made glad by its own sheer might and perfection then it blew out a tire and a long heart-racking siege of disasters had been ushered in as if at the beckoning of fate a cylinder began to miss almost upon the resumption of the journey for fully an hour both stivern and his man sought vainly to locate the trouble when they came upon it finally they found it somewhat serious a valve rod sticking every other minute and then for a time running normally filing and oiling aided uh, materially but the lost minutes were totaling fast when once he could drive ahead again the chauffeur urged such terrific speed that wreckage was constantly threatened one violent maneuver resulting from this recklessness stripped out the gears of the intermediate speed a battery connection shaken loose brought on the recurrence of the missing for which the valve rod was for long mistakenly attacked one crushing delaying complication after another arose the great machine now racing now barely toiling in the highway performed every known depravity of steel and spark and gasoline another tire went the way of ruin impatiently wildly stivern strove to redeem lost time but in vain it was one interminable series of delays repairs and exhausting efforts to keep the machine on its legs eight o'clock found them far from anywhere with forty miles to go calamity overtook them almost while they reckoned that with luck they would still be late no more than half an hour at nine they were down and out again stivern groaning in vain he had looked at his watch a hundred times and now with more than thirty miles to travel was sweating in the frozen wind to think of what might be happening where thoroughly waited peering through the night for the help that could not arrive how they limped along toward north winnig robley could never have told it seemed a veritable nightmare of helplessness wherein he struggled furiously to get ahead only to be baffled hindered stalled by things intangible that may not be engaged or overcome it was midnight and passed when they came at last to the village they had gone astray from the road among their other accidents and expended an hour getting back the little settlement in which they found themselves at last seemed part of the frozen world not a light was shown from any house where all appeared like spectral things merely mockeries of men's abodes with glassy eyes lifelessly staring leaving his man in charge of the car stivern hastened off at once to find the abandoned mill he came there at last discovering an empty old ruin through which the wind was howling dismally armed as he was he nevertheless approached it with caution only to ascertain that a burial place would exhibit more cheer and life 
he knew that if thoroughly had been here at all she had long since gone away bitterness and self-accusation and impotent bickerings at fates and accidents consumed him there in the wind it seemed so utterly puerile to have come this far and be obliged to turn about and return the way he had travelled crowned with defeat and disappointment there was nothing about the structure to give him the slightest guidance or hint as to what he should do he could only turn disgustedly away reviling himself for failure in thoroughly's hour of need and face the cold and desolation between himself and his car harassed even tortured by worry and apprehension as to what his delinquency might have involved he could only wonder vaguely how possible to serve the princess now he could think of one thing only remain for the night at north winnig and by search and inquiry early in the morning redeem a little of his effort he came to the village street some distance from his car up the road he went as rapidly as possible wondering soon if his man had curled himself down in the furs to keep himself warm as he waited he had rather expected the man to be walking about on the road warming himself by motion banks he called as he came in speaking distance but no reply was returned he came to the car glanced in at the tonneau discovered it empty of anything save the furs and was passing along the front of the hood when he all but fell over his man he was lying loosely crumpled in the road his hat a little thrown aside his face marble white on the snow banks cried stiverant kneeling down but the man unconscious left there for dead by pelavin and max returning from their long cold wait at the mill neither heard nor felt nor moved end of chapter forty